Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2 of our Stagey Place Edinburgh Fringe specials and after an incredible response to our first episode which went out last week I'm so excited to be bringing you this episode which has four more wonderful interviews from companies emerging and established who are bringing up their weird, bold, wacky and emotional productions to this year's Edinburgh Fringe. If you've been keeping up with us over on Instagram at The Stagey Place, which is our main hub for Edinburgh content this year, you'll have seen already some takeovers happening from companies, as well as the announcement that this year we'll be bringing out free badges to those who take part in interviews on the mile, as well as giving them out to guests who have been a part of this podcast, and lastly to anyone who comes up and says hi, as we'll have Edinburgh Fringe Stagey Place merch all around us. So kicking us off then with episode two, we have Emily Beecher from Recreate Agency, a company who have brought up three shows to this year's Fringe. And Emily here is talking about her own one woman show, a personal story entitled Summer Camp for Broken People. Hello, Emily, and welcome to The Stagey Place. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Emily, today we are talking about Summer Camp for Broken People, which is a play that you have written and also star in. Emily, do you want to talk us a little bit about the inspiration behind the piece? Yeah, so Summer Camp for Broken People is an autobiographical show. It's based mostly on diary entries and essays that I wrote while I was at the Priory, which is like a psychiatric hospital, both as an outpatient and an inpatient, when essentially I'd had, I guess, a sort of a nervous breakdown after a sexual assault. And I kept all of these sort of diaries and all of this writing that I did. And I had originally wanted it to be a memoir. I wanted to write it as a book. So I did that. I sort of started that out, sent it out to literary agents. And one of the agents came back to me and said, I love this, but I think it's a play. And I was a bit like, no, 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 I've written a play. I want to write a book. (laughs) And she was like, well, I think it's a play. I think you should go away and think about it. I was a bit like, oh damn it, but did that and sort of had some conversations with people and was like, yeah, let's look at what it means to stage this theatrically and what we can bring. How do you bring all of those words to life on stage? And so that's kind of how the show came about. And it's basically about my time in both a very difficult therapeutic space, but also I'm a single mom and I have a daughter. And so every day, you know, she was sort of eight at the time, I would go home at the end of those days in therapy and I would have to be all mumsy and cheery and she's amazing and what that meant for me living in those two spaces at the same time that's essentially what the show looks at yeah and obviously you've done the show already so far at the Pleasance Theatre talk to me a little bit about the audience reaction because I guess when you put on a show like this you probably want to hear what the audience wants to say about it was the reaction kind of what you were hoping for I think it was what I was hoping for I think it was more empowering I think for me and for them that relationship was more empowering than even I had thought it might be like you know you have a little hope that the biggest thing that when we set out to make the show was that how do you make a show about trauma that isn't traumatizing or isn't going to damage the people that it's meant for more than anything so we thought about that a lot but there was a lot of questions in my mind of does it land does any of the humor land does all of those sorts of things and audiences reactions were phenomenal both from women that have lived experience of sexual violence and what it meant to them and 
what it meant to see someone reflect their experiences back to them. And I don't pull my punches about what happened to me. It's not graphic, the show. The assault is never sort of replicated in any way, but I do talk about it in detail. That was something that surprised me that the survivors really like. It's tricky because there's so much around sexual assault and sexual harassment. It's such a spectrum. And so often... It's also the term sexual assault just covers so many different things and it doesn't capture the violence of the experience. So I think for a lot of the survivors, there was a great comfort in feeling like AI understood because of what their experience, because of my experience, but also we don't get to say those things out loud very often. And so sort of having someone say those things out loud is really galvanizing. And I think it can be really empowering. So knowing it did that, that was really helpful. And I think the great thing about these fringe spaces, you know, the Pleasant in London, and obviously I'm in Anatomy Lecture Theatre in Edinburgh, which is such, I mean, literally a room where dissection happens while we dissect my experience is amazing. That immediacy with the audience that you don't get in any other form. Yeah, because this is what I was going to say, because obviously like you say at the start of this interview, you were like, I wanted this to be a memoir, I wanted this to be a book. Whereas actually, if you make it a book, even though you can read up, you know, words online about what people think of a memoir, you don't really have that instant reaction that you do with theatre. Like that's one of the great pieces about theatre and, you know, why we love it so much, because you get that instant audience emotions as well like I guess that is a that is a way of knowing why theatre is so important compared to any other art form the fact that you can just have those audience reactions straight away rather than having to you know go online every you know so often just to hear what people have to say about a book or a memoir for example yeah and that's what I love about it because it's really a conversation as a piece of theatre yeah I say these things and you react to them emotionally and then I get that back from you and I give you something back and that's what I think is really interesting and obviously every audience is so different depending on how many people in the audience we might have with lived experience like those things change that that environment but that's the thing that I think excites me is that every conversation is different and hopefully you know our audiences do leave feeling empowered and galvanized and that they get an opportunity to think about their own lives and 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 how brave they've been in their own lives as well yeah so obviously the show is coming to the fringe this year you've already said it's at summer hall at the anatomy lecture theater half past one in the afternoon what are you most looking forward to edinburgh audiences experiencing with this show oh that's such a great question i think edinburgh audiences are known for their kind of like I'm here like entertain me they don't shy away from things always looking for something different but they're also if they don't like it you know they don't like it right like that there's that immediacy of it I really hope for audiences that they feel like they've been challenged and sort of like in a really positive way and I also hope that if we have one person come and see the show in that run who feels less alone in their experiences or they understand either their own or someone else's experience is better. I feel like our time there will have been absolutely worth it. But I'm also just really interested because I share the role with this amazing actress called Charlie Coletta because I realized obviously doing a show like this for a month would be very difficult and could potentially have an impact on my mental health. Although I do find the show very empowering, so I don't feel like broken at the end every day. But I am sharing it with Charlie so that we have that. And so I think it's really interesting because it's two different performers playing it. Obviously, I have the lived experience and she's poor thing has to play me. But I think that's really interesting for audiences as well. And does that change your experience of how you experience the same writing, depending on who's performing it? 
Yeah. So I think hopefully the piece is, you know, makes people think that's my biggest thing, but I hope also, I think it has the potential to bring some peace and some like self-compassion. And I hope that it does that for people as well. Yeah. And so obviously we've already touched on it a little bit there, but do you want to talk about the rest of the team that are on summer camp for broken people? Yeah, I am so lucky. I have been working with this team, you know, thank you various lockdowns for a while now, but I have Krista Harris, who's my director. Bless her. We worked on it from like, here is the manuscript with 35,000 words. I think the first read through was three and a half hours. It was like the Hamlet of mental health. And so Krista's been on it since the absolute beginning. My Recreate Agency co-producer, Reese McMahon, is on it, as is Grace Dixon from Grace Dixon Productions. I have Michelle Payne as our associate director, who's absolutely brilliant, brings so much into the room. Libby Todd did our set design. Uh, Nicola T. Chang did my sound design. Dan Light's done all the projection because it's not obviously it's not a small team. I've gone, it's me on stage by myself. Casey Nurse is our stage manager, but she's also done our lighting design. So, yeah, we have quite the incredible team backing me up and working with me from the beginning, which is amazing. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing team. I know Dan's work pretty well. I've seen some of Dan's work and I also know Nicola quite well. We've done a couple of projects together. So I know that Nicola's sound design is always incredible. And I know that, you know, going up to Edinburgh as well, you were just saying there with Reese. you and Reese are together with Recreate Agency and you've got a couple of shows up on in Edinburgh this year. So it must be a really exciting summer for you away from summer camp as well. So what are you going to give us for recommendations for the Edinburgh Fringe this year? Well, great question. Look, we've got two other shows with Recreate going up we have I Love You Now What which is at Pleasance Beside and it's by an amazing writer called Sophie Craig and it looks at it's a three-hander it's about sort of grief and love but also like the impact of grief on our relationships they're at the Beside at 3.35 every day they're up for the entire month and then at the end of the month the last two weeks we have a show called Blueprints by Ashley Elizabeth Lolo which is an Afro-futuristic slightly Black Mirror-esque play, a two-hander about the blueprints test, which is this test, which is kind of like the ancestry DNA test, but on steroids. It can tell you everything about everyone's past, how many people in your family cheated on other people, like all sorts of information that you may or may not want. And that's at Pleasance Beneath at 11.50 for the last two weeks. And then we have some friends bringing up other shows as well. So my co-producer, Grace Dixon, she's bringing up Lady Dealer, which I think is going to be an absolute hit as well. So yeah, I think there's going to be some some great things to come. And I I can't wait to just go and watch shows. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on to the Stage Place today to talk about Summer Camp for Broken People. Once again, it's at Summer Hall at the Anatomy Lecture Theatre at 1.30 all throughout the month from the 2nd until the 27th, apart from the 14th and the 21st, which are very, very good days off and good to have days off as well throughout Edinburgh that hopefully you can just take a step back. But obviously I know that you are you obviously sharing this role as well. So you'll be able to deassociate when you can and just enjoy the fringe at the same time as possible. Emily, thank you so much for coming onto the stage place today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you there to Emily Beecher for an insightful interview. As mentioned there, the show had a short run in London earlier this year. And if you'd like to book for this year's Edinburgh run or for any of the shows featured in our season, you can find the ticket link in our episode notes wherever you are streaming this episode. Right, on to the second interview in this instalment from Sam McGregor. 
who has swapped flyering in previous years to now performing in a show all about his personal experience with alopecia in Truly Madly Boldly, which plays at the Pleasance Courtyard. Hello, Sam, and welcome to the stage place today. How are you doing? I'm very well, Ellis. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you so much for coming on. Sam, today we are talking about your Edinburgh Fringe 2023 show, Truly Madly Boldly, which is going to be at the Pleasance Courtyard in the Pleasance Below. Sam, talk to us a little bit about the show and the idea about it. So it's kind of been in the work for day two and a half years. Lost my hair pretty much in a short space of time. I sat on that for ages because of lockdown and pandemic. Didn't really have any like need, no need, no want to like write anything or do anything because it was in house for most of the time. And then just was at my desk at my weekend job, NHS one one one, and then I just had like, an idea of a little monologue about my, when I lost my hair and what it's been like so far. Sent it into like the scratch night, which was on at the vault. So it wasn't like vault festival, but it was in the same venue. We done two staggered performances there of like 50 people per show because you couldn't get everyone all at once. And then that was pretty positive, well received, eventually got Arts Council funding and then I developed into a longer piece within that space of a year, rewrote it like a lot of times and then eventually was like, it's ready to go somewhere now. Fringe is always an option. And then I was just like, yeah, let's just go for it. That's like the history of the play, essentially. And when you were writing that monologue at your weekend job, did you just do it as like a therapeutic thing just so that you can get out how you felt with your emotions or were you always writing the monologue to then, you know, actually send it off? Like you say, you played it at the vault. Was it always going to be a performative thing? I would say what your your first point there was definitely... I was like not really wrote much in general but it's always been from like a therapeutical like just getting off your chest kind of thing because before I moved to for the pandemic I lived in London for like six months and I was writing like little short short monologue kind of like one person shows and it was just all on like things that happened times where I'd been rejected from acting jobs and it was really good and people kind of being like oh like why don't you become a postman or a bus driver or big respect but that's what my dad would usually offer and I'm yeah. like, I don't want to do that. Coming from a place of love, obviously. And anyway, I went to London, I started performing and people would be like, oh, that was really good and that. And I'm like, I didn't really do anything. I was just having a, b- a bit of a moment, to be honest, about how frustrating it is trying to be like a writer and an actor. But I guess it's like telling everyone a room full of people is a way of like releasing that yeah. in a angst or whatever. So it is kind of like a therapeutical approach to it. And it was the same when I was writing it at the computer with the baldy one I was like ah like this is what it's been like so far and then I started adding like layers of like a flare of drama and like acting stuff towards it and then that's when I was like I think I could probably put this somewhere towards that end of the year Newcastle was in like TR50 or whatever the TR system was it was something silly at the time and London was always in TR1 like they were always like bars are open and theatre spaces were still open this production company were doing a scratch night and then I thought oh yeah like let's give it a go yeah and obviously when you started writing it it was writing it as a monologue and now obviously there's two performers in the piece of Truly Madly Boldly do you want to talk a little bit about why you made that decision to add the extra character and talk to us about the other performer in the show so after it went well after doing the monologue I was like how can we make this better and longer and so on and so forth because my mum has it so my mum's had it for about 15 years and again fairly heavily featured in play yeah. and it's featured in that monologue a little bit and then I thought well there's other people who I know who have alopecia well women I didn't currently know any men who had it or any other people basically I got in contact with her and I was like oh I'm, I'm thinking about developing this monologue into a two-person short piece but still two people and then I interviewed like a couple of people. One of them's an actor up in the northeast, um, and one of them became a model. Basically, they they got alopecia areata, which is like a patchy one. They became a model because like it was kind of such a unique look. Got their perspective on it. Got the other actor's perspective on it. And I obviously already knew my mum's perspective from not necessarily interviewing her, but just from growing up with her. 
So I kind of made this other character, an amalgamation of these other experiences of alopecia. And that's when I made this secondary character and how like these two people can come together and um, through multi-rolling. And that was essentially that. And the slight problem with the fringe was though, um, the other character has to have alopecia. The other actor needs to have alopecia. And uh, you know, I don't have a lot of money to like get casting directors. I can widen the net as much as I can because it's my show and I'm not, I don't have a team or anything. It's just me really. I knew a lot of great actors who had alopecia, but who either were either busy throughout the fringe or just couldn't commit to something like the fringe which is totally understandable because it's rehearsals and then a month long it was a paid job and not great pay and I totally get that so basically now and I was like right I'm gonna have to either just do it as a one-person show or I'm gonna have to rewrite it and that's what I did so I rewrote it kept all the alopecia storyline is essentially my, me and my journey with the other characters kind of still in it as multi-role but the other actor doesn't have alopecia so had to make a slight change for the fringe but the original script with the other actor and the character having alopecia is still there for like the long run if I ever go to like anywhere else. Yeah. And so if audiences are coming to see the show, you have the lighthearted comedy in it. You don't want to make it too serious and you want to have the lightheartedness with it. What would you like audiences to take away from the show? I guess ultimately it's like that, uh, oh, I never knew that. That's kind of like, it uh, sounds cliche, but like if I go and see a theatre show, I don't like things being like shoved down my throat, like messages. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. Like I like it that it'd be some sort of like to it. And I think that's kind of what this brings with the cop with the humour. It's like scenes where things might be going wrong for one character from a perspective of hair loss, but it's funny. And then the audience might be like, oh, like I would never have thought that. Ultimately, it's raising awareness of alopecia in general. Like, as long as I can tick that box. Yeah, that in a short sense, basically yeah. raising awareness about the future, but also having a fun time. I don't know. Yeah. Is there a moment in the show that you are most excited to perform or for audiences to witness? Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, again, they're all based on real, everything has, has happened. There's like a bit where like, not spoilers, but like I went for a casting. It was like London Fashion Week earlier this year. They were like, go to Strand. And this is where the casting is at, number one Strand. And it was when the Queen had just died. So everywhere around that central part of London was like, it was gridlock. And the police were everywhere telling people that like, you can't go down there and you've got to go there and I was late for this I cast it didn't realise what it was for got there and it was for a hair brand Weller and then I got there and I was just like hang on it's just for a hair product and I thought like it's my agent having me on here he just sent me across London to go to casting for a hair commercial I thought it was quite funny at the same time though and I was like I've got to write about this because it is funny yeah that's basically like that's made in the script but like what if I actually went to the audition what if I actually like got in the room which I didn't because I was late. But then, like, imagine if I'd actually showed up and like, there was a casting table and then they're like, uh, are you in the right place? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, well, it sounds really exciting. So this is truly Madly Boldly at the Edinburgh Fringe in the Pleasant's Courtyard, mm. Pleasant's Below, from the 2nd until the 27th of August. Now, Sam, I know that this isn't the first time that you've been up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. You had a little cameo in a show last year that was also at the Pleasant's. If people are listening to this podcast and are going up to Edinburgh, for the very first time what tips and advice would you have for them if they are going to be maybe up there for the whole month well if you're there for the whole month as a performer or part of a creative team especially on places like the courtyard and like bistro square it can get really chocker can get very busy if it's your show or you're part of the show and you've got a flyer for it get used to like people being quite rude to you people get flyered 100 times in mm. in a week maybe or, like pieces of paper just flying around and people are just it's very bad for littering i will admit that 
sit down with people. Like, if you take time and introduce yourself and sit down with them, be like, look, I'm just going to chat to you for like a couple of minutes. I promise. Talk to them about the play. Yeah, they might not come and see it, but at least you've like actually like made a difference and like put it in their brain about this play. I was flying for four or five different shows last year, and each time I sat down with someone, I think most of the time they went and saw it. If they didn't, I'd still have a nice chat with someone because I think a lot of people just put flyers on tables. Yeah. No one looks at them properly. But then at the same time, trying to talk to people, strangers, is quite nerve wracking. Like, it's that fear of pit, someone just basically telling you piss off it's quite like I don't like that but you'd be surprised some people are actually really nice and some people don't have anything planned they go there and they're wanting someone to come up to them and be like come and see my play and then you've got a couple of people that obviously have an itinerary like no sorry I'm booked from 24 hours in the day I'm going to see every possible play and then then that's fine and then I guess if you let us a punter again like just just be open to like flyers coming up to you and sell the play to you like listen to them take the flyer if you're not going to go maybe don't take the flyer because it's a waste of paper, but maybe tell someone else about it. So word of mouth's huge. Be open to anything, basically, because, you know, it can be a bit crazy. I've already been there once, so yeah. I can't really... It's not like I'm a veteran or anything, but like... Yeah, but like you said, though, there is, especially in the courtyard, I remember last year, sat down around the benches, and you probably just have, like, a pile of, like, 10 flyers in the middle. Yeah. Like you say, there are a lot of people who just, like, put the flyer down on the table and say, come and see the show. Yeah. If you sit down with people and actually have a one-on-one conversation... Well, you know, with the group or whatever, it becomes a lot more personal and then you really get to talk about the shows which you are flyering. So, Sam, have you looked through the brochure yet? Have you got any show recommendations that you're looking forward to that you maybe want to spread out to our listeners? Yes. So, you know, watch that. That was cracking. Cowboys and Lesbians. Now, I haven't seen this. I met one of the actors in it at a Peckham Fringe show called Ned. We got chatting. They were like, yeah, I'm in a show called Cowboys and Lesbians. It's about half one. No idea what it's about. And then Pitch, Charlie Hartill winner about queer football. That'll probably be really good. And then Public, and um, the actor who's in my show, Andrew, is also in Public, which is a musical. So that should be really good as well. Andrew's great actor, both singer as well. I could go through the entire brochure, I'll be honest, but we don't have time. So those are a couple. Well, Sam, thank you for joining me today to talk about Truly Madly Boldly. Once again, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival from the 2nd until the 27th of August at Pleasance Courtyard in the Pleasance Below. Uh, yes, Sam, yes. thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Ellie. I'll see you up in Edinburgh or when I next see you. Yeah, yeah. see you, Sam. And there we go, that was Sam McGregor talking about all things Truly Madly Boldly. I have my e-tickets already and I'm incredibly excited to catch this one. Sean Waring and Freddie Walker are up next, again with the show at the Pleasance Courtyard, this year bringing their Trojan Horse interactive spectacular, Burning Down the Horse. Hello Sean and hello Freddie, welcome to the Stage Place, how are you both doing today? Yeah, really well. Yeah, we're doing really well, thanks. Brilliant. You guys are here in your lunch hour as you are rehearsing Burning Down the Horse, which is coming to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year at the Pleasance Courtyard. Sean, Freddie, tell me a little bit about how rehearsals are going at the moment. They're, they're going really well. We, we've done two previews this week, so we're just uh, trimming, getting it really ready for Fringe, and we've I think we're just having such a fun time. It's a very fun show to do. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those shows that I feel like we could have it longer and have it more silly and play around with it more, but... As you know, with Fringe, our, our slot is is tight. So it's about getting it slick, uh, getting the pace right, keeping what really needs to stay and getting rid of the stuff that 
only we really yeah we, yeah, we it, yeah. <laughs> yeah and how do you decide how you're going to cut bits down like you say you've had your previews they kind of overrun is it just making the whole thing faster or are you having to cut bits that you know you don't want to lose but you're gonna have to for the fringe yeah i think it's a bit of both there are definitely bits that we're having to get rid of that we really like and future shows might contain something similar yeah, that's- because we've had that feedback because it's a comedy it, it kind of if it didn't get a laugh we probably need to rethink it so it's been very helpful and sitting down looking at what will work and what doesn't and also getting um sort of feedback from the cast themselves as well yeah so, seeing how they feel like we didn't want to cut things that didn't make sense later on so it was about cutting things that needed to be cut for time um but still keeping it all like making yeah. sense um but you're right i think with the pacing and stuff it's as we perform it more it will get quicker and we probably could have afforded to keep more in but I think it's best to be at a side of caution with it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about the show then, Burning Down the Horse. Tell me a little bit about what audiences are going to expect with the show. So it's essentially our version of the Trojan Horse story. And it's done in real time. So the, the audience are soldiers on the horse. They get welcomed in and the action sort of unfolds around them. Mm-hmm. And we basically cover what would have happened on the, the first hour of their journey when a surprise stowaway is left on board and basically doesn't want to fight. So Yeah, is the voice of reason the same. Yeah. The idea is is kind of moronic in, <laughs> in a brilliant way. And it's about realizing that and kind of how you deal with a leader who is so set in their ways and has a plan that is sure is never going to fail. But that would require everyone making a huge sacrifice I think. Yeah. yeah so obviously it sounds quite immersive coming mm. in during the show it's set in real time what would your ideal audience member be coming to watch the show i think we just want people who are ready for a, a laugh really i mean uh, that find us funny yeah yeah well we've had feedback it's very similar to monty python uh, sort of mischief theater and style as well we great heroes of ours and we just want people to come sort of sit back, relax for an hour. You don't have to take part in the audience participation. We've actually uh, introduced some stickers so that people can feel comfortable. It is a play with immersive aspects. So we want people who just want to see a good comedy play to be able to sit back and not actually worry about being dragged onto stage. Yeah, but also enjoy the fear in the audience's eyes that do get dragged onto stage because that is also just brilliant and obviously last year guys you were up for a week at the festival and now you're up for the whole month this year what Mm -hmm. are you guys most excited for away from the show for being up in edinburgh for the whole month i think it's just being in edinburgh in august it is probably the best place in the world to be in yeah i think every time we go up we've gone up it was about a week and a half last year in the end and i think we just didn't really want to leave there's so many shows that are only there for a week that you'll miss otherwise and i think you're right it's the buzz of of the city uh, for that whole month it's weirdly intoxicating yeah it's it's hard to get away yeah once you're in it yeah and i think it's always been a dream of ours to do a whole month up there and you know we're prepared for it i think as much as you can be yeah but i think the overall feeling amongst all of us is just excitement and we can't wait to get back up there um, in very soon very very soon i mean i was up for the whole month last year in edinburgh but i'm not sure if you managed to get stuck with the binge strikes that happened at the end of august yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that was that was quite annoying and trying to move around stuff 
But uh, but yeah, it is just like a whole different world, isn't it? Going up to the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. So have you guys got any other shows on the radar that you're looking out for? You know, what would you like to plug? Have you got any friends coming up to the Edinburgh Fringe this year that you like to plug their shows in? Well, Freddie is doing, is actually oh, yeah. doing, you forgot that. <laughs> Freddie's doing two shows at the Fringe this year. Yeah. Uh, ours at 105 and then News Review. at 5.30, which is like a... Yes. Uh, sketch comedy show based around the news so that's going to be yeah yeah so so he's gone from doing one show in a week to two in a month but yeah i i mean we've got a few other people i mean we all met at the university and extra so fantastic because they take about six shows up every year they do original musicals acapella show choirs and things like that i mean we're also just excited to see every show we possibly can mm-hmm. i mean yeah. uh we met some great people uh doing this pleasant theater reserve as we were one of the finalists yes. and you know very similar shows very different shows just about support really one of them was called pleading stupidity I yes yeah. we would recommend uh, that would highly recommend that one that was great yeah. yeah, perfect. Well, Freddie, let's just talk a little bit then a question about news review then, because obviously yeah. you have to be very topical, obviously, with that kind of show. Yeah. You have to be very on what's happening, you know, in the country yeah, at yeah. that time. Because I know that I saw news review many years ago, actually, at the Edinburgh Fringe. And I know that it's usually at the Canal Cafe Theatre in London as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah. tell me a little bit about how that's working then. Yeah, no. So usually when you do news review, you do a, a six week run and yeah. you try and change at least probably 50% of the show, depending on how busy the news has been. With Fringe, it's slightly more difficult because we're not going to have too many rehearsals during Fringe to change things. So we've kind of tried to create a catalogue of material and things that could be changed depending on what has happened in the news. So it feels more like we're keeping it fresh and then place them inside the sketches and songs we already have because we won't be able to re-tech the show once it's teched. And he said, yeah, news should be used to kind of be a, a yearly recap of the year. Mm-hmm. And then a few years ago, they decided to keep it more like it is at Canal Cafe. Yeah. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see how it goes and see how um, what people think of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Freddie. And thank you, Sean, for coming on to talk about Burning Down the Horse and a little bit there about News Review. Before I let you guys go, do you just want to say who else is on the team for Burning Down the Horse and when you can catch the show? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we've got a big group of us going up and a lot of people who've, who've done quite a lot of behind the scenes work as well and yeah I mean we're on 105 beneath in the Pleasance Courtyard we'll also be walking around Edinburgh and togas and tunics so please do keep an eye out for us yeah that seems like a good way of being able to fly the show we're in togas and people will remember you unless it's pouring with rain they they are quite uh see-through when wet so we might (laughs) might skip those days yeah that's true (laughs) yeah maybe yeah (laughs) well Sean Freddie thank you so much for joining me on the show Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks there to Sean Waring and Freddie Walker talking about burning down the horse playing at the Pleasance Courtyard. We're now moving on to our last interview of today's instalment. And before we get stuck in, I would just like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in for today's episode and hope that you will join us on this ride in August as we still have two amazing episodes for release. We end today's episode with writer Lucy Hayes, who earlier this year was awarded the Bristol Vic Pleasance Partnership that has allowed her to bring her show, Bitter Lemons, to the Pleasance Courtyard for the full month. Hello, Lucy, and welcome to the Stage of Place. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Lucy, today we're here to talk about Bitter Lemons, which is a play which you have written. So let's talk about the show. Where was the inspiration behind writing the play? 
play I actually wrote after coming to see some shows at Edinburgh Fringe last year which is kind of amazing to be bringing it back there I just felt like very inspired by you know seeing lots of different types of stuff and people having worked so hard and with like so much passion on stuff. I personally had just come back from working in France over the summer. I was an associate director on a show there, which was an outside show. And I think I just came back and I was like, I really need to do something which feels like creatively nurturing and like important for me. So yeah, I think I had those two experiences of going to France and coming up to the fringe and being like, right, okay, I'm just going to be very open to kind of what comes. And I just started writing quite quickly and played deals like quite intimately with abortion and like Roe v Wade had just happened like a couple months beforehand and I felt like I was hearing all of these experiences of some of the people nearest to me that were going through abortions against this like crazy political change and so yeah I feel like I kind of sat down and I really wanted to write something that felt really important to me that I was really passionate about and that's kind of where it all started. And obviously Lucy we should say that Bitter Lemons was the recipient of the Pleasance Partnership Award supported by Bristol or Vic what's it like to be the recipient of this kind of award and for it to gain its knowledge to then go up to Edinburgh I mean it's amazing like I pinch myself every day like I've never won anything you know (laughs) (laughs) so it was incredible yeah and like it always been that venue that was like you know I'd like looked up to and I'd always like particularly their new work I feel like they've got such a good new work department and so I was like that really appealed to me about the war because I was like I feel like you know not only does it give it that resource and that backing but like I know that they'll like hold it and they'll want the best for it so that was really special and yeah just like an incredible privilege and like I wouldn't have done Edinburgh without the award I just wouldn't have done it because it's such a tricky thing you know to do because there's so many other shows up there resources are so stretched and so and it was just me at that point with this play that I'd written and so yeah without without Bristol like basically the show wouldn't exist and and it's just yeah I've been like overwhelmed by like Bristol's support and kindness and kind of the way that they've held the show like they've programmed it and they haven't even seen it you know like that doesn't happen you know (laughs) (laughs) well obviously Lucy we do we talk about the process of Bitter Lemons, we talk about some of the themes. So let's actually get into who we meet and where we begin when we come in and watch Bitter Lemons. Where does the story start? Yeah, so basically, initially, the play takes the form of two monologues. AJ, who is a goalkeeper on women's football, and we meet Angelina, who works in investment banking. And they're both about to face the biggest kind of professional challenge of their career. So AJ's playing like the Super League final and she's just been cho- chosen to be her club's like number one goalie. So she's actually playing rather than on the subs bench. And then Angelina's like been kind of dangled this promotion if she's to kind of secure this pitch with these like new clients. And she's sort of trying to prove herself to like everyone in her office. So we kind of meet them at that moment of like intense kind of professional opportunity but also professional pressure yeah so that's where we meet them and then we kind of start to kind of learn about their backgrounds and all of their kind of hopes and dreams and what kind of pressures they're putting on themselves and that they're meeting and we learn all of that before we even find out anything about 
their pregnancies. So obviously you've teased us a little bit there about what audiences can expect. Is there a passage or a section of the play which you're really excited for audiences to experience? Oh, good question. I mean, it feels a bit self-indulgent because I'm like, enjoy this thing I've written. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think I get excited when, again, without giving too much away, like the form starts to change and the characters, their lives start to intersect at different points. Uh, And... I get excited by that because it feels like you present the audience with one thing, you take them on that journey and you get to change it. And I think that's always really exciting because it feels like we radically change the space and the way we've told the story. Yeah, it's just those moments. It's just a couple of them in the show. And I think that you're just like refreshing, cleaning the slate. Yeah, those are always my favourite moments. Yeah. And obviously, let's talk about the writing then, because you said earlier on when you went to France, you were part of the directorial team. When you come back and you start writing a show but you're also a director at the same time do you find that you're merging how you're writing it and then you're seeing it out in your head as like a director or do you have to like step away and go I'm the writer of this I will have a director on this show I'm not the director how does that work for you as a writer yeah, and a director it's another very good question <laughs> I think it's a relationship that changes this is the like third play that I've written so I feel like every process has been slightly different I think when I first started writing only during the pandemic like I trained as a director at Bristol Vic and then I obviously like everyone was presented with all of this free time and that was very much like something that I wrote for myself really that for myself that I wanted to direct so that was a very like linear process and then I think since then I've like tried to write a bit more for the sake of it and just for the love of that and I think that this play curiously was like I wrote it with absolutely no idea about how it might be staged or where it might exist who might direct it or any of those things I just wrote it and I wrote it kind of quite hourly like I heard it before I saw it because it is two intersecting monologues I was always so aware of like rhythm and even like the way it's laid out on the page is like one character on one side one character on the side and it's like dotted lines so it's like always both characters are always there and like it feels a bit like a musical score in some ways So I felt like rhythm was really important to it. And like, I think in that way, I was so much more keyed into that than I was to any kind of like conceptual or like visual language or staging. And I think that was helpful because that just meant that I wrote it without anticipating what might happen. Because I think in some ways it's brilliant to have that conceptual understanding of what might be possible as a director. But I think in some ways you sometimes like limit yourself because you go, well, that would be hard to stage or, you know, well, that's not going to work. So I kind of try and keep them separate but I do think that having an understanding of how theatre works in live time is like invariably useful in the writing process also. Absolutely that's a fantastic answer. So obviously Lucy you've been to the Edinburgh Fringe before you said that you know last year you saw plays that kind of inspired the writing of Bitter Lemons. What I want to get is advice for people who might be listening to this episode who may want to come up to the Edinburgh Fringe this year to, you know, just see work and maybe be inspired by something which maybe they want to write in the future or, you know, for punters coming up to Edinburgh for the first time. What would your advice be for those sorts of people who are listening to this podcast and have that frame of mind? I'm one of those people that, like, follows, like, artists that I like and that kind of thing. So, like, if I've heard of someone from somewhere else, I'll, like, try and go along and I think it's like good to see a mix of things that 
you know, if you know you like musical theatre or comedy, like it's good to see a mix of that. But like, I also think it's always really good to be surprised and like allow yourself to be kind of like influenced by what people are talking about. I mean, I, I feel like word of mouth is so huge at the fringe. Like that's always how I see most of my shows is just like, what people love and what people tell me about because I feel like there's so many lists of like these 50 shows to see these 50 shows to see they're trying to break down the fringe and like show you what's out there but I feel like they're also run by PR companies that like come from shows that have money you know and like that's great for them but then you know the fringe is brilliant because although I'm a bit worried about if it still is in theory it's like a democratic opportunity for anyone that has work to kind of come up and present it and so I would always like encourage people to embrace the spirit of that I guess and like see stuff that you get fired on the mile but also see like the Guardian's top pick you know. Well Lucy obviously you are the writer of Bitter Lemons will you be up in Edinburgh throughout the whole time? Yeah I will be because one of my other tricks as a freelancer is that I also take production photos. (laughs) I will be up there taking some pictures as well and just again trying to soak up make the most of it. Do you have any recommendations for people listening to this podcast or shows that you've got your eye on which you would like to see at Edinburgh this year? Yeah I mean I feel like I I always love like the Payne's Plough roundabout shows like yep. there's really fantastic new writing I have some friends um Finley and Joe who are doing a comedy show at Underbelly which is a really great fringe story actually because last year they were at one of the free venues really early in the morning yep. and they busted every day to do you know all the flyering all of that kind of thing and now they've been programmed at Underbelly it's just a great like fringe moment so yeah definitely really excited to see them as well amazing well Lucy thank you so much for coming on to the podcast to talk about Bitter Lemons would you like to remind our listeners whereabouts they can watch your production yeah well first of all thank you for having me so Bitter Lemons is going to be on Pleasance Beneath the whole month even the last day of the fringe when only the psychopaths are doing it so we're also the second to the 28th at 2.20 with the 16th off and then we're also very excited because we're going to Bristol of it in September also for a week the 5th to the 9th so if you're Bristol based and you're not going to the fringe you can catch us then as well. Amazing perfect well yeah you've got two different venues there and also Bristol of it is an amazing venue not too far away from Bristol myself so you know I will be catching it in Edinburgh like you said on the final day on the 28th and I'm sure you know the energy has been pulsating throughout the whole month the pleasants love to program on that very last day just look around the whole of Edinburgh and everyone else is packing away courtyard the smattering of people left it was a joyous time last year seeing some stuff on the 28th of August and just seeing stuff being taken away but it was just a lovely environment to end to the fringe on we're going to be there and they're going to be like taking down the theatre around us whilst we're performing and we're going to be like stay and watch the show yeah absolutely well Lucy thanks again for coming on to the stage place oh thank you so much for having me that was Lucy Hayes there talking about Bitter Lemons again another show I have my tickets booked for and incredibly excited to catch as well as purchase a playtext for which has been published by Methane Drama That brings us then to the end of this week's episode. So to Emily, Sam, Sean, Freddie and Lucy, I'd just love to say a huge thank you for coming on to the podcast to celebrate your shows and once again to you, the listener, for tuning in. 
If you'd like to book for any of the shows featured in today's episode, you could do so by checking out the links in our episode bio. Join us next week then when we'll have four more companies coming on to talk about their shows coming up to Edinburgh. Make sure you're following us on all social media platforms at The Stagey Place, where we'll be posting all things Edinburgh Fringe throughout the whole month. So until next week, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye.